Welcome to Ask the Expert. Today we are uh, very pleased to have Julia Panzer along with her PI, Alejandro Casado, coming to us from University of Miami. And um, as far as uh, Julia's bio, originally she trained as a chemist in Germany with specialization in toxicology. And then after working as a scientist for two years to expand her knowledge in different fields, cancer research in London at King's College and molecular biology and regeneration in Dresden at Max Planck. Uh, I, she started her PhD in 2014 in the field of islet biology with Stephen uh, Spear, and um, she was mostly working on beta cell function in T2D. During that time, she optimized the, the pancreatic tissue slices technique to be used for human tissue. And then once that was completed, she traveled to the U.S. to train a team um, at NPOD in Gainesville to produce tissue slices um, from uh, organ donors and use them for physiological readouts. Now. Um, this is a routine procedure at uh, NPOD, uh, leading to distribution of human tissue slices to multiple investigators throughout the US and Canada. Well done, Julia, that's fantastic. Um, after her PhD in 2018, she uh, joined Alejandro's lab in, at UM in Miami, and her project focuses on alpha cell function and dysfunction in type one diabetes and islet development in the first years of life. So in bio uh, archives, uh, uh, 20, October 21, um, they had a great uh, paper released or preprint, uh, which was titled Restoring Glutamate Receptor Signaling in Pan Pancreatic Alpha Cells Rescues Glucagon Responses in Type 1 Diabetes. That's a nice splash. And then um, in December 2021, <clears throat> uh, the paper came out in diabetes targeting the pancreatic alpha cell to prevent hypoglycemia in type 1 diabetes. This, this really kind of, um, in my view, illustrated the need to, to squarely address the alpha cell. And then in just uh, recently in late January, she pre presented her work at the NPOD meeting uh, held in Florida. Um, so welcome, Julia. Thank you so much for joining us. Nice to be here. Um, so yeah, um, the main focus uh, currently was to target pancreatic alpha cells to prevent hypoglycemia in type 1 diabetes. And just as a quick start, I always like to um, cite um, Philip B. Cryer, who said that hypoglycemia is the limiting factor in the management of type of diabetes. And this is very true because if it weren't for hypoglycemia, we could probably treat diabetes more efficiently with aggressive insulin therapy and more safely also. Um, so just as a very quick reminder, what is hypoglycemia and why is it usually not a problem in healthy individuals? So hypoglycemia occurs when blood glucose levels drop below physiological range. However, there are certain mechanisms that um, avoid or um, uh, quickly um, uh, prevent hypoglycemia. And there is a certain hierarchy amongst them. So the first mechanism that occurs while blood glucose levels are still within physiological range is actually the inhibition of endogenous insulin. However, if blood glucose levels drop further into a hypoglycemic range, which is below 70 milligram per deciliter in a human being, then the first and most important defense mechanism is activated, which is the release of glucagon. So this leads to hepatic glucose production and um, glucose um, avoids glu further glucose clearance. Now, there are other hormones that are released at a later stage if, if uh, blood glucose levels drop further which is the release of adrenaline, growth hormones, and cortisol. However, um, the inhibition of endogenous insulin and glucagon release are usually the two mechanisms um, that avoid hypoglycemia in healthy individuals. 
Now, if we look at the situation in type one in donors, um, from donors with type one diabetes, and here we're using pancreatic tissue slices, and you can see it here in the top corner. So you can see that the islets are embedded within their um, uh, native environment. And this is a very great technique to use, especially if it comes to type one diabetic tissues, because it's very hard to isolate the islets due to the autoimmune destruction um, of the beta cells. So now if we look at um, insulin secretion, in black, you can see the trace from non-diabetic individuals, and you can see that there is a nice release of insulin due to high glucose exposure. And also uh, we have a nice response to membrane depolarization with potassium chloride. Not surprisingly, if we look at the donors with type one diabetes, you see that insulin um, secretion is almost completely gone. However, if we look at glucagon release, this is really interesting because although the alpha cells are still present in the tissue, um, the response to low glucose is completely absent in um, cases for type 1 diabetics. So you can see a very nice and robust response for, for a drop to low glucose concentration for non-diabetic healthy individuals. However, there is nothing um, here anymore for donors from type 1 diabetics. Although you can see that the response to membrane depolarization is still there. So in theory, they have the capacity to release glucagon, but they don't do it when they are supposed to. Now, the hypothesis that we have is that in a healthy individual, glucagon is released to low glucose concentrations and glucagon is co-released together with glutamate. And glutamate acts as a positive um, autocrine feedback loop on glutamate receptors on the cell surface of the alpha cell. And this ampli further amplifies the signaling pathway in order for the alpha cell to secrete a sufficient amount of glucagon to restore glycemia. Now, under high glucose conditions, the alpha cell is silent, which is not only due to the sensing of glucose, but also due to a lot of paracrine signaling. And here we just show signaling from the beta cell. So for example, it releases insulin, which acts on the alpha cell, but also it releases serotonin, which directly inhibits the alpha cell from releasing glucagon. Now in type one diabetes, we have the problem that there's not only a tremendous loss of beta cells, but also the signals, the paracrine signals that inhibit the alpha cell. So now the alpha cell is basically left without um, the, the paracrine signals and it releases constantly glucagon. And with glucagon, it also releases glutamate. So the glutamate receptors desensitize on the cell surface, um, which then leads to the alpha cell that is not um, capable of uh, mounting a sufficient response due to hypoglycemia. So we hypothesize that if we can reactivate the paracrine and also the autocrine signaling pathways, we could maybe restore the alpha cells ability to respond to hypoglycemia and type one diabetes. So we mainly focus on human tissue, but also we use um, mice as a great system, especially if we wanna look at the effects in vivo um, and use pharmaceutical uh, manipulation. Now, in terms of um, tissue, we usually use isolated islets, but also tissue slices. And here you see um, tissue slices from mouse as well as human donors. And these we receive um, through the NPOT network. So we are very lucky that we, uh, we are part of NPOT and receive this precious tissue slice from these donors. And then usually we have two main readouts. One is calcium imaging and the other one is dynamic hormone secretion. So 
the very first thing we wanted to look at was whether the role of glutamate receptor activation is um, necessary for the alpha cell in order to respond to glucose. So what we did was we used isolated islets from mice and we also repeated these experiments with human islets and um, got very similar results. And you can see that there's an inhibition of glucagon secretion due to high glucose and there is a very nice response to low glucose. Now, if we inhibit the glutamate receptors with a drug called CNQX, you can see that this um, increased secretion to low glucose is blunted. We also showed this in tissue slices from mice um, where we did calcium imaging. And here you can see um, individual cells that you can follow over time. So every row represents an individual alpha cell. And you can see that more than 30% of the entire um, alpha cell population responds to a lowering in glucose. However, under the influence of CNQX, you see that this um, effect is significantly less. And also here you see the average trace um, and this is also significantly less if we block glutamate receptor signaling. Now that we know that it's important, we wanted to know if this pathway is affected if we lose the beta cells and thus the paracrine signals. So in a healthy mouse, if we stimulate with glutamate, again, we have more than 30% of the cells that respond to the stimulus. Now, if we ablate the beta cells with streptocytosin, you can see that this response is severely diminished. We also looked in um, human tissue slices. So non-diabetic individuals, again, you have more than 40% that respond to glutamate activation. However, if we look at individuals with type one diabetes, you see that this is significantly less and also um, in the average trace. Now, very important, of course, is whether we can restore this. So we're um, pharmacologically. So we're using two different drugs um, one is called aniracetam, it's an over-the-counter drug here in the US, and the other one is cyclothiazide, which is FDA approved. So we started looking at the in vivo infect using NOD mice. And um, here you can see an insulin tolerance test from NOD mice. And you can see that after 10 weeks, which is the black curve, you see that after injection of insulin, of course, glycemia drops, but then there is the glucose counter-regulation, which rescues glycemia. And this is due to the secretion of glucagon. Now, after 18 weeks, the same animals have lost their glucose counter-regulation, shown here in gray, and this is due to a loss of glucagon secretion. So if we inject one of these drugs shown here in different green shapes, at the same time where we inject the insulin, you can not only see that there is a um, there's a rescue in glycemia, so we can restore glucose counterregulation, but this is also due to, um, to the restoration of glucagon secretion. So this, none of these points are significantly different from the 10 week old animals. Very important is that this only occurs under hypoglycemic conditions. This is important because later, if you want to use it as a treatment in humans, we do not want to promote hyperglycemia. So we don't want glucagon to be activated under um, non-fasting conditions. So if we inject either of these drugs on non-fasting animals, you don't see a change in glycemia or a change in gluco glucagon release. So we also tested this drug in, um, in samples that were received from human tissue. So here is, I show you the same trace that you've seen at the beginning in my slides. Um, you see non-diabetic individuals with their response. And now it's only three type one diabetic donors with type one diabetes. Um, because the same three um, donors, we would 
treat also with cyclothiazide. And then you can see that there is a slight increased um, response to low glucose and the area in the curve here is significantly higher. However, if we look at aniracetam, you can see a way more pronounced response and you can even see a peak that occurs at the same time when it does in non-diabetic individual. And again, this is significantly um, elevated. So to quickly summarize the idea of the um, autocrine signaling is that an, a non-diabetic healthy individual releases glucagon in response to glycemia. And with glucagon, you release glutamate and activate glutamate receptors to amplify the signal and um, restore glycemia and prevent hypoglycemia. Now, exactly this autocrine pathway is impaired in type 1 diabetes. Um, however, it can be reactivated by positive um, allosteric modulators, and we can um, rescue hypoglycemia and by restored glucagon secretion. Of course, this is only one part of the story because right now we were only looking at the autocrine signaling paracrine loop. So um, um, autocrine signaling loop. Now we want to look at the paracrine effects. And this is what we are currently focusing on. So we're looking at the effects that um, of serotonin, insulin, but also GABA, and also the effect that the delta cell plays, which we haven't looked at so far, um, and the effects of somatostatin on the alpha cell. So this is the, the future direction, basically. And this is our lab in Miami, the Caicedo lab. And we thank our sponsors and funding agencies, of course. Fantastic. That was really, uh, really interesting. And um, I thank you for sharing that with us. I wondered if anyone in the audience would like to, sorry, I'm still keep admitting people. There's quite a few people in the audience. Um, I wondered if anyone would like to either, uh, you know, unmute themselves and ask questions or drop something into the chat. Either way is fine. Or raise your hand. I'll unmute you if you have a problem. Um, but it would be great to have some questions um, outside of mine because I have some too. <laughs> okay, here's uh, Mark. Julia, that was fantastic. Thank you so much. That was uh, very elegantly uh, conducted and presented. Um, one question of many that comes up is in the slice preparation, you, you still, um, like in isolated islets, are basically effectively um, denervating your islets, although there are some still nerve terminals in the preparation. So how do you, what are your thoughts on how long those nerve terminals continue to function in a somewhat physiological setting? And how do you link this then to um, um, hypoglycemia-associated autonomic failure? This is, a, this is a big question, and I'm not expecting you to know the answer. I would be impressed if you did. I, I think it's just so beautiful to see how just in the isolated prep, you already see these behavioral changes in, in calcium behavior, how that, how that then links back to, um, to CNS control um, of these mechanisms. Yeah, that's a really good question. And I don't really know the answer to that because, I mean. Hi, hi, Mark. <laughs> yeah, Leo. I see you. So some of the nerves may survive, but you're probably referring to sympathetic innervation of alpha cells. As, uh, and, and we don't, I mean, we think that in those slices, the influence of the local sympathetic innervation is gone. And uh, that factor, is not present anymore. So yes, that's that's an important thing. But as Julia said before, probably 
the autonomic intervention is second to the glucagon secretion. So we expect that to come later, almost as an emergency after the glucagon fails. But that's important. What, what survives in the slices are the local neurons. They may survive. Mm -hmm. uh, those are probably more postganglionic parasympathetic neurons or intrapagranic neurons of which we know very little. Yeah, but this, I think, also strongly depends on the preparation of the tissue. So I think for mouse tissue, it's, I think there's still a lot alive because we, we don't have the cold ischemia time. We don't have the shipment and the long preparation. However, for human, it's a long time until the tissue reaches us. Sure. I mean, in a way, it's amazing that you get such beautiful responses still, knowing what these tissues have gone through. And, and you could actually look at your data and say, look, evidently there is an alpha cell autonomous defect or at least an islet autonomous defect um, because of just removing the beta cells from the equation gives you these, these pronounced differences in glutamate responses. It's very nice. Enjoyed that. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks Mark. So I, I wonder, are you, are you guys sort of thinking about this idea that uh, you're detecting sort of the basal operation of the alpha and beta cells and then that the, the sympathetic innervation would almost be like a, an additional tuning function on top of what's happening basally, right? Yes. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I wonder if anyone else is interested in talking or asking questions. There's a lot of people out there. Um, I guess I would ask, you know, in terms of this aneracetum, I mean, how did you, how could you envision that being used in, in hypos? I mean, is this, you know, that's is a huge reach, right? From from your observations to, to that kind of a, um, um, a use. But is this something like that maybe could be involved in um, when someone takes a, a glucose gel to revive their hypo, there could be some kind of level of this anorecetum or this ampokine? So, I mean, the ideal plan is to have something that you can take at night so that when you cannot eat and constantly monitor your, your glucose levels, that you can prevent hypoglycemia while sleeping. Right. Now, we have to say that none of these drugs are made for the eyelid. So, aniracetam is made for, the, um, for dementia, actually, mm. and to increase cognitive function. So, mm. it's not made for the eyelid. It crosses brain barrier. so there's probably... These are just the drugs that um, we can use because they work on the glutamate signaling, but they are not made for this purpose. So ultimately we would need to work together with pharmaceutical companies to make something that only activates the islet. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I don't, I don't envision that to be the drug later for, for, for diabetes treatment. However, we, we proved the concept that it works. Right, I and mean, it would be a tremendous, um, removable burden, especially for parents of young children. That's one of the biggest issues is this nighttime fear of hypoglycemia and the risk of death. So I think that this is just an amazing new approach. How can you, um, what can you say about, you know, the glutamate receptors that are sort of desensitized in a type one diabetes, that hypothesis, how could you, um, you know, kind of observe that window, or is there a way to observe that happening during the prodrome? Do you think it's sort of like 
off and on, or is it just like, you know, you know, we know the program is over usually over um, a time period, a longer time period, you know, so how do you envision it really happening, the, the mechanism? Yeah, that's a good question. I, um, I mean, in terms of timing, I guess it's difficult to tell. I mean, also, I mean, with our mice, for example, what we looked at was glucose counter-regulatory mechanisms. And also there, we cannot really say when this is happening. So although we destroy the beta cells and we know that there's a loss of insulin secretion, it takes a while for the alpha cell to stop functioning in terms of counter-regulation. Yeah. So I'm, I'm not exactly sure. Yeah, I think that... Uh... Receptor desensitization is one mechanism. It is possible also that the, the gene expression for these receptors decreases in diabetes. The timing for that, we don't know that yet. In addition to the glutamate receptor desensitization, of course, it's possible that these uh, alpha cells in diabetes, they are not able to mount to or to produce uh, the electrical behavior or the electrical activity that is needed to release glucagon. And this is because other channels, they become desensitized or inactivate. Like there's a famous and important sodium channel that yeah. inactivates. If, this, if the alpha cell is constantly activated, that channel is not, no longer open. And as a consequence, you don't have glucose secretion. Yeah. So there are multiple mechanisms that are maybe failing there in addition to changes in gene expression. And then, so what are the next steps for you? In oh, here's Anna Cruz. I'll let her um, ask her question. Thank you. That was that was really excellent presentation and really clearly described data. Um, we work with alpha cells in our lab as well. I'm at the University of Exeter with Craig Beal. Um, I was wondering, because we've done a lot of work with recurrent hypo, um, with or without type one models, I was wondering if you have any data suggesting whether you lose glutamate receptor sensitization with recurrent hypo independently of diabetes, if you see what I mean. We haven't looked at it yet, have you? I mean, before? No, one, one indication that that may, may be the case even under non-diabetic conditions is that the glucagon response fades over time. So you have, exactly. and this is different to the adrenaline in the bloodstream and a different from the cortisol in the bloodstream. So basically you see the glucagon fading and it's probably, it's probably because the desensitization mechanisms in the alpha cell are so strong that you see them even in, in healthy individuals. So that's why probably you need the, influ the influence of the beta cell. The beta cell resets the alpha cell so it's again able to respond to a drop in, in glycemia. So yeah. this interplay, that's why they are together in the islet. Yeah. They are not in yeah. separate uh, kingdoms. They are in one organ called the islet, and they are together. And in all species, they are together. So mm -hmm. we believe that the beta cell is providing inhibitory input to reset the alpha cell so that the alpha cell is able to respond to the hypoglycemia. And that's yeah. exactly what we're looking at now also. Yeah. To try to, even though the, the alpha cell is not functioning properly, to maybe reset them by... by um, reactivating paracrine signals. Yeah, that's, that's really, that's excellent. Thank you. Thanks for that question. Uh, feel free to raise your hand at any time or 
if you don't want to raise your hand, uh, drop some in the chat. Um, yeah, I would. I, I wonder if. Um, oh, Marcus. Hey, Marcus. Hey, uh, great, great presentation. I was curious. Um, why do you think only like a subset of alpha cells, at least in your calcium data, are responding to low glucose? And like, what about those alpha cells make them different than the ones that that don't seem to have a calcium response? Yeah, that's a great question. So we were also, when we saw this in the very beginning, we were a little confused <laughs> that it's only a third of the population that really responds to this. However, we are, I mean, the protocol is really long and we have a lot of um, stimuli. And it's actually that we also see a subset of alpha cells that respond to just lowering in glucose, but not hypoglycemia. So for example, if we go to high glucose and then back to to um, normal glycemic conditions, we also have a subset of alpha cells that respond. And this is not necessarily the same group of cells that respond to hypoglycemia. We haven't figured out yet um, why there are subpopulations and to which stimuli they respond. Um, this is also something we wanna get into and also see that if maybe um, sequencing data can help us with that, um, that is out there, but... If I may add something, sure. Julia, I don't want it. So this is an excellent question. So related to that, I, and we are not sure always that the calcium response is producing secretion. So it is quite possible. And actually there's a very nice paper by David Piston showing that, that actually that may not be the case. Hmm. So it's difficult to establish whether this, this subpopulation of cells that respond with, it, with calcium increases to a lowering in, in glucose, glucose concentrations, if those are the ones responsible for glucose secretion under those conditions. We don't know that yet. It has to be established somehow. How would those observations kind of uh, fold into um, what's coming out of the Benninger lab and Guy Rutter's lab about the fact that, um, you know, that maybe there's a pacemaker, maybe there's not a pacemaker in the lab, I mean, in the islet. You know, so if there's a pacemaker, you know, what does that say about the alphas that are associated with that or not? I think, I think it's very interesting. I mean, the, the idea that you have a heterogeneous population is, for physiologists, is actually an, an older idea. So we always deal with a lot of our variability. Uh, it is possible that, who knows, that, that the, those cells that are responsive to the drop in glycemia are located in certain regions that where you have say dominant beta cells. We don't know that that could be tested, but we will, we would have to find them. And, but we know very little actually about the alpha cells. I think that we need to do more research related to that cell. I mean. Yeah, no, definitely is a huge player. Um, and your, your results have really illustrated that I think, um, you know, it kind of just opens the door for so many more um, experiments to be done and and by the community too, not just, you know, because everyone is sort of looking at it from different lenses. And so they have different approaches and they could add a lot more value. So I think it's really, it's fantastic. It's what you've, what you've accomplished here. It's really great. Thank you. Okay, last call for questions. <laughs> All right then. Um, Thank you again for talking with us today. It was a phenomenal talk, uh, both at NPOD and here. And, and, um, and I really can't wait to see what, uh, what comes next out of the Casido lab.
and with Thanks you. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Have a great rest of your day. Bye. 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 B